What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Real uh, <laughs> Real Talk Bible. Sorry, I don't know why I always mess that up. You know why? Because I don't have my notes right in front of me. Real Talk Bible series, part of the Edmo Show. And this time, we are going to be starting the second book of the Bible called Exodus. Now, what we... Exodus is probably... For me, a book that started everything uh, to get me into the Bible. Um, one, because uh, before getting really steeped into the Bible, I was a big fan of Dennis Prager because of a lot of his arguments, a lot of, of course, Prager U videos. I am a very common sense, very fact based person. And when I saw that he had a book called um, Exodus, God, Slavery and Freedom, I was like, "Ooh, OK. And. I know in uh, a lot of black spheres, people talk about um, Exodus a lot. Um, a lot of people try to tie Exodus, the uh, the experience in Exodus to the to the American black experience. They, you know, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Harriet Tubman. They they refer to her as the Black Moses. Um, all all sorts of connections, uh, especially with the slavery component. So. Uh, Exodus for me was a very interesting book for me um, in, in, in my in my youth growing up. It was one of the ones that always stood out to me. So Dennis Prager's book, when it finally came out, which was his first book of the Rational Bible series, I was like, OK, let me let me go ahead and read this. So it was the first one I read. Um, I am definitely going to use this. Uh, this book, um, again, his book is for the non-religious reader. It, you know, he talks about his commentary in the Bible. Um, let me see. Uh, he he starts out with a number of good points, uh, which I'll probably end up reading. This episode, we're probably going to be very, sh- uh, we're not probably going to dive too deep into it because there's a lot of good aspects of things I want to cover from his actual book that helped me understand the Bible as a whole, especially in wanting to do my own biblical commentary and uh, starting with Genesis. So I already had a jumping off point where I wanted to start from. But um, Genesis, I mean, not uh, Genesis, Exodus is actually also very popular um, in the entertainment sphere. Uh, Of course, my mom's favorite movie, she used to have me watch it as a kid, The Ten Commandments. Also, uh, you have the Prince of Egypt that came out in 1998. I remember watching that as a kid. And what was the most recent one was Exodus, God and Kings. Now, I like the movie Exodus, Gods and Kings. However, I didn't. Of course, it wasn't. They they took some creative liberties with it, like like almost all these adaptations. Um they definitely focused on the relationship and the brotherhood that Ramses and Moses had. They, um, they, they, they did take, um, you know, it, sorry, uh, but they did take um, a lot of creative liberties. Now, one of the things that I did enjoy about the movie was um, Moses and his relationship to, uh, to his wife, um, especially the actual Exodus part. Um, but they didn't focus too much on the Exodus. It was mainly 
them leaving Egypt. And there was a lot that happened after they left Egypt. So, I mean, I feel like that movie was kind of like, you know, it, 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 they only covered half the story. And I mean, but it was entertaining. I, I wouldn't say it was a bad movie. It's definitely an entertaining movie. I watch it multiple times just before the acting. I know a lot of people got a lot of flack. Well, people gave a lot of flack because white actors and all this other stuff, whereas people praised the Prince of Egypt because they showed melanated characters. Okay. I, 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 okay. I, I kind of get it. Um, that part I understand, but also for the acting, um, yeah, it, it was definitely a good movie. I'll probably do a a full because it's been some time since I watched the movie, but I'll probably do a comparison with all the movies. Um, but of course, as you guys know, we are using the Messianic uh, Jewish the Jew. I don't know why I can't talk today. The Messianic Jewish Family Bible, the T- the Tree of Life version (TLV) as our Bible of choice. So uh, I'm going to go ahead. They like to give a nice introduction into what Exodus is. And uh, I'll be go ahead and begin. Um, so the TLV says in their introduction, the nation that was triumphantly called forth by Adonai in, the er- in early Genesis and a tiny band of brothers residing in a sprawling Egyptian empire called Shemot. Uh, or names of the sons of Israel in the Hebrew Bible. The Bible Exodus describes how the Hebrews grew, how the Hebrew tribe grew in Egypt, albeit under very adverse circumstances. A turn of political event rendered the the multiplied Israelites in Egypt as a mere slave stock. Their uh, Their misfortune grew with their numbers. Let me go ahead and blow the screen up. Sorry. Okay, where did I leave? Their misfortune grew with their numbers, hard pressed under oppressive yoke of the Egyptian overlords. Abraham's distant offsprings cried out for Abraham's seemingly distant God. In response, God made an appearance through the through a deliverer raised up uh, to the uh, to ameliorate the people the people's miserable conditions, which is Moses. Moses. Moses rise is noted is noted in Exodus three verse four is yeah uh, chapter three and four where God uh, elevated him to facilitate a series of miracles on his on his and the people's behalf Israel's deliverance came on the heels of the war of wills between Israel's gods and Pharaoh's God I mean Israel's God and Pharaoh's gods sorry God <laughs> the final and ultimate miracle was facilitated by the applied blood of the spotless lamb and the death of the firstborn Egyptian male. With Egypt reeling from the from its losses, Pharaoh expelled the people of Israel in haste. The English and Greek name Exodus translates as going out. The Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover hearkened to a... a to the aforementioned stories to keep the memory of the Exodus alive for the Jews in every generation, as much, um, much as communion reverberates for Christians in every generation, itself a related a related spotless lamb story, something done in remembrance of the lamb that was slain. For the Hebrews, the going out of Egypt then led to a coming in at Sinai. 
there they ha- there the heavenly glory descended upon the earthly summit, and it was there that God spoke to the fledgling nation and delivered what the book of Hebrews later referred to as Israel's first covenant in blood. Since the blood of the Passover lamb saved them, uh, slaying the lamb and sprinkling the blood was not institutionalized through the sanctuary and therefore remembered for all time. This arrangement was subsequently more fully extended to the people's uh, to the people of saving faith from a nation through Yeshua or Jesus. In Exodus, redeemed redeemed Israel is similarly beckoned to honor God while walking their earthly track. This entails keeping the Sabbath, living justly, giving free will offerings of God's tabernacle. In Exodus nineteen five through six. Uh, Israel is called out to be God's very own national treasure. This sense of being chosen is elsewhere extended to all members of Messiah's community. So, as we see there, um, and and especially for me, when I started getting back into the Bible and reading Exodus, the there were a lot of things that stuck out to me that... This is before I even got the TLV version of the Bible. I was reading the the um, the JPS the um, I forgot what the JPS stands for, but uh, it, it was pretty much an English Jewish Bible. Uh, I was reading that, uh, and I was I was seeing in in even in the JPS the signs of of the Messiah, the signs of Yeshua. And then recalling back on my teachings as a child, um, even though I didn't go through, you know, even though I didn't read through the whole Bible, but I never really read the Old Testament as a, as a kid. Most of our teachings was mainly in the New Testament. Um, the biggest thing that I was told was you don't need to read the Old Testament to understand Jesus. And I'm like, well, OK, now as an adult, I feel differently. I feel like you do. I feel like the Old Testament actually paints the portrait of of who Yeshua is, who he is meant to be, and cements that with the New Testament, um, especially when uh, Yeshua says, I did not come to break the law, and the laws that he's talking about is the laws of Moses, the laws that God has set forth in the Ten Commandments, and in um, and the laws that uh, Moses later explained in depth, and I believe in Leviticus. So, but in Dennis Prager's book, um, he has very like long uh, one of the biggest like very in-depth essays um his first um is who is the torah commentary for and he writes sorry that's the studio mutt i have written this book for the people of every faith for the people of no faith throughout my years of teaching the torah i would still i would tell my my students the torah either has something to say to everyone or it has nothing to say to the Jews. The idea that the Torah is only for the Jews is as absurd as the idea that Shakespeare is only for English and Beethoven is only for the Germans. That is why over time, half the people taking my Torah classes at the Jewish university, no less, were not Jews. Nevertheless, I would like to address some groups, uh, some groups specifically, he uh, addresses his Jewish readers, he addresses his Christian readers, and he addresses the non-religious readers. Now, this is where 
uh, this is where I really, really began to love this book because he has an essay saying the Torah is not man-made. And little comment uh, about this. I've been getting, getting more traction on social media. And one of the, the altercations that I've found myself in with, is with um, a content creator um, who was a, I'm not really going to put his name out there, but his, he, I believe he went from a pastor to now he's being this one world religion type, anything goes type per type guy. And he's pimping this narrative on social media. Okay. If that's what you believe, great. Um, now what caught my attention, of course, I was on my 30 day ban. I'm now off my 30 day ban. I'm already in knuckles deep in, into, uh, into intellectual conversation on Facebook. And of course the conversation is not disrespectful in any way because, Hey, if that's what you believe, that's what you believe. However, you can't tell me, or you can't attack Christians or Bible believers first, then want to sit here and say, uh, okay, your beliefs are a lie. My beliefs are true, even though I believe in everything. And then when people who are Bible believers fire back and then try to discredit or try to disprove what you're saying, then you're trying to say, look, look at the Christians and the Bible believers. They are just as hateful, yada, yada, yada. So, and I'll probably do an episode on this. Maybe if I can get him onto the show, we can have an actual debate on 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 the show but pretty much he it starts out he has one and this guy gained popularity because he's trying to make polygamy popular uh and those of you who know you probably remember his picture but probably not his name so this gentleman uh wants to talk about the the uh egypt uh, the indian god ganesh or ganesha i believe and he talks about how Ganesh is one of his favorite gods and all this other stuff. He up his his elephant face represents intelligence. His ears represents the fact that he's a good listener. His small eyes uh, represents that he is thinking. And it, it, to me, I, I just like okay, all right. So me being me, I fired back and I say, like, okay, well, let's use some like so. You want to take a creation by God. Make your own creation and take the creation, the elephant that God made and slap it on the face of a deity. But then you want to say that God doesn't exist. Make that make sense. Because as as all of us know, or we should know that, and he always says, well, and he tries to play the him and his followers try to play the the ageism card. Well, he tries to say, well, the Hindu religion is older than the Christian religion or older than the Bible. And I'm like, okay, but if God, if, if the God in the Bible is eternal and the God that you like had a birthday, where, how, the, why are we talking about which is older? Make that make sense. Then he, then he tried to say, well, and of course I'm giving you guys the Cliff Notes version. And his followers were like, all right, well, uh, the Bible was, is man-made and all this other stuff. And I said, okay, yes, the Bible is a collection of, of letters, especially in the New Testament. And could we take something as, as folklore and mythology? Yes, but then let's use some deductive reasoning. Well, in the Hindu Christian in the Hindu religion, there are many gods. And in most world religions, you have many gods. 
the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, is the first singular God. Now, there are some historians that try to say, okay, well, it, it's derived from the from the Canaanite tribes and yada, 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 but even the Bible explains all that. The Bible explains it. So how is it that now we're trying to sit here and play tit for tat, but the Bible already said, you know, this started with the one true God. Then after man has sinned and God had flooded the earth, men began to create their own gods, which is why one of his commandments, which we will talk about in Exodus, is you shall not have any gods before me because I am a jealous God. So if God didn't know, you know, like, come on now. It already explains your argument for me. But anyway, um, I went ahead and I said, look, if we're going to sit here and take the world religions that you prescribe to, your God has a birthday. Your God was born of two gods. Now, those gods were born of another gods or born from something. And if we follow this rabbit hole, we'll ultimately get down to a focal point where a one omnipresent omni being god creator of everything exist and even and that's even if we entertain this pantheon of gods because even in greek mythology all the gods were born out of chaos or creation like there was a one focal point then you got the what was it the celestials then you got the titans then you got the olympians and you know and all that Norse mythology, you got this whole like lineage, family tree of gods until you get to Ragnarok. So if we're going to sit here and entertain, I'll, I'll get there with you. I'll entertain this, um, this, this pantheon theory, but this, even this pantheon theory has a singular God in it or this singular omnipresent, all powerful being that created everything. So your argument falls on its face. And that's not even me using the Bible. That's me using logic and reason. Then I went, ten, I went 10 commandments on that ass. I said, okay, so, which we'll probably explore again. But um, I told him, I said, okay, so God has already explained your argument for me in the 10 commandments. Thou shalt not have other gods. That is God explaining that there are other gods because we as man try to create things of in our own image as God created us in his image. So now that we don't live with God and God talks about that in the Bible, especially in Genesis and now in, in Exodus, where the once the Hebrews left, they're still practicing Egyptian culture. So God has a has a in the fifth commandment. God says you shall honor your father and your mother. And and I explained that to him. So and even in that uh, explanation, honoring your father and your mother is by proxy honoring God. And I'm going to also take the God is jealous and do not have any gods before him argument. And I would say, OK, and I'm going to deduce that in the father and mother argument. If God is our parent, let's just say um, if I am a parent and I have a child. I birth this child, I bring this child into the world, I groom this child, I teach this child, I protect this child, I provide for this child. And this child wants to create a figment or an imaginary parent and says and, and want to create altars and say all the good things in my life has happened because of this imaginary parent and completely disown you. Is that child honoring the parent? No, that child is no longer honoring their parent. 
put us in that child's position. As human beings, we have done that with all these pantheons of deities, and then we want to slap God's creation, i.e. an elephant, or in the Egyptian sense, a, a, a hawk, or an alligator, or a cat, or whatever. Give these these deities human bodies, but animal God creation faces. And then we want to call them God, or we want to call them a God, or a God that represents human values and human desires. So, that settles the argument God is jealous because now we as the children have created this invisible figment of our imagination that will get all of our praise, worship, and love versus our Father who is in heaven who has created everything and we live in his creation, i.e. the planet that we inhabit, where you can step outside and feel his His creation with the sun on your skin, the air in your lungs, and you can see the, the wind blowing in the trees. But you want to say, that the God of the Bible does not exist or that there isn't an omnipresent, all powerful God. Now I'll even entertain that the fact that God is, is not here or God has been absent, but remember God exists outside of space, time and matter. So, and like the Bible always says, one day is like a thousand years with God. So even though we are specks of dust, little peons from the dust, we were created. So the dust, we shall return creations of God to us what may seem like eons may be a blink in time for God and if the fact that we are not honoring God why should God make his presence known to us anyway so yeah that that was my my little spiel with this guy and of course you know he went on live and you know probably pretty much doing the same thing I'm doing and he called and he didn't call me out by name but he used my argument and tried to say oh I was foolish and all this other stuff but he did not disprove my arguments he just said that he disagreed and the fact that he disagreed that was fact bro that's not how you have an argument you got to disprove what I'm saying like I did with your elephant faced god because your elephant-faced God has a representation of two of God's creation, the elephant and the man. The elephant was God's beastly creation. The man body is God's creation also. So you're trying to fuse two things to represent a divine creation, to represent intelligence and aspects, all because this God uplifts woman, and you try to say the Bible condemns women or... Um, berates women, even though I gave him examples in the Bible, especially in Genesis and throughout the Bible, where women were actually uplifted. And in Exodus, we're going to see how women were uplifted again. So, but anyway, I'm going to continue with um, with uh, Dennis Prager's book. He says uh, the Torah is not a man is not man made, and he said the reason I developed throughout the for reasons I've developed throughout the commentary, I've convinced the Torah, I am convinced the Torah is divine, meaning God, not man, is the ultimate source. The Torah is so utterly different morally, theologically, in terms of wisdom from anything else pre- uh, preceding it, and for that matter, from anything written since, that a, that a reasonable person would have to conclude either moral supermen or God was responsible for it. To cite just a few examples of what the Torah introduced to the world, a universal God, the God of all people, uh, this begun a long road of human beings believing that with one father in heaven, all human beings are brothers and sisters. The invisible and corporal God, therefore the physical, is not the only reality. 
life is inf- uh, infantile more than the material. Um, yeah, <laughs> more than the material world in which we live during our brief lifetime on Earth. A moral God. Uh, all gods prior to the Torah God were uh, capricious, not moral. Uh, a just and moral God meant. Among other things, ultimately, justice will prevail, if not in this life, in the next. It also meant human beings in, imbued with the sense of justice can argue with the question, can argue with and question this just God. In the name Israel means wrestle with God. Uh, God beyond nature, God made nature, and this, therefore, not natural. Uh, this led to the end of the universal human belief in nature gods, such as rain gods, and sure enough, the belief in Torah's gods uh, in the Torah's God declines nature nature worship uh, seems to be returning. God who loves and who wants to be loved. This is another world changing concept introduced by the Torah, um, introduced by the Torah to the world. A universal human worth. Every human being is created in God's image. Nothing like this has ever been uh, posited prior to the Torah. Universal human rights. Another world-altering consequence of a uni- of universal human worth. Uh, then he uh, he has another essay that talks about man-made or God-made. Why it matters. Uh, he has. How was the Torah transmitted? The reason, uh, reason, Torah, and God, and he has long essays. Uh, but here, he says, um, I, I definitely read this. He explains God as He. I refer to God as He because in, because that is how the Torah refers to God. As the Torah was the first religious book in the world to completely desexualize God and religion. The Torah needs no defense in this matter. Using he or she would not only be dishonest to the text, it would also decline. Uh, it would also incline people to think of God in gender terms. She was always referred. She always refers to a female, but he or man frequently refers to both sexes. The right of man means human rights, and the world and the word mankind includes women. And so on. And using it would render God of the Torah something else entirely. Akin to Aristotle's unmoved mover, one does not pray to, love, or otherwise relate to in it. Moreover, as I explained at length in another volume of this commentary, render God as he taught generations of males that to be compassionate and loving is a part of being masculine. Yep. So, and then he goes on, and you got the preface, and we are at chapter one. So, and Dennis has a lot to write and say in chapter one. Uh, if you guys hear that, I got my book with me. Yeah, chat. But today we are for this, we are going to cover chapter one, um, and chapter two. So now that we got all that out of the way. And I'm giving you guys that little insight. I'm going to try to read through this as fast as possible. So the first chapter in the TOV is called Oppression in Egypt. 
Now, these are the names of B'nai, Elo, uh, of B'nai Israel or the sons of Israel. That's what B'nai means. You uh, who came into Egypt with Jacob, each man with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The souls that came out of the line of Jacob numbered 70 and all. While Joseph was already in Egypt, when Joseph died, as he as did all his brothers and all the generations, yet B'nai Yisrael uh, were fruitful, increased abundantly, multiplied and grew extremely numerous. So the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look at the people of B'nai Israel are too numerous and too powerful for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or else they will grow even more numerous so that if war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us, and escape from the land. So they set slave they set slave masters over them and afflicted them and forced labor, and they built a python uh, yeah, Python and Ramesses as storage cities of Pharaoh, for Pharaoh. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread. So the Egyptians dreaded the presence of B'nai Israel. They worked them harshly and made them live bitter with hard labor, with mortar and brick, doing all sorts of work in the fields. In all their labors, they worked them with cruelty. Moreover, the king of Egypt spoke to the, to, to the Hebrew midwife, and one of whom was named Shifra, and the other uh, Pua, uh, P-U-A-H, or Pa, I guess, and said, When you help the Israel women during childbirth, look at the sex. If it is a son, then kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. Yet the midwives feared God, so they did not do as king of Egypt commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? Let the boys live. And I'm going to pause right here. And the reason why I'm going to pause right here is remember the comment, the, the, the interaction that I told you um, how some of this guy's followers tried to sit here and say the Bible treated women very harshly and very shrewdly. And the examples that he gave was Eve and the fact that he tried to make a counter argument to Lot and his daughters trying to say, well, it, it, it doesn't seem rational for his daughters to rape their, get their father drunk and rape him. But it is rational for the fact that the father raped the daughters because we have those evidence in, in history. Well, um, we actually have, what the women said and whether you believe it or not, but these are like when we watch a movie, we don't question what the movie is telling us. Like if we see a woman in a movie trying to say, Oh, I want to set this guy up so that way I can have a child. You know, we have signs of that too. It's just, yeah, a father, you know, impregnating his daughter is a bit extreme, but we do have present. We do have evidence of women actually doing that in real life. But the, these people try to say, say the Bible talks so badly about women but as you see here, you have the women saving Israel because the Pharaoh wanted to kill their sons. I don't see how that's treating women very harshly. But anyway, we're going to continue. The midwives told Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, 
They are like animals and give birth before the midwives come to them. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiply, growing very numerous because the midwives feared God. He gave them families of their own. So wait, and this is one thing that I also, I also struggle with uh, Bible believers and Christians who try to say, well, lying is a sin. Well, nowhere in the Bible does it really say that lying is a sin because what we have right here is women lying. These women lied to save the lives of Israel. They lied because they said the women are like animals, which we know is not true. And they give birth before the midwives get to them. They, they completely lied to Pharaoh to save the children of Israel. So is lying really a bad thing when you're, when you're doing it for a noble and just cause? No, I don't think so. So, and then he also said God blessed them by giving them families of their own. So we're going to continue. But Pharaoh charged all his people saying, you are to cast every son that is born into the river, but let every daughter live. And that is the end of chapter one. So what we're going to dive in to what Dennis has to say. And, uh, and when he uh, mentions uh, chapter one, verse six, Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. Before I get into that, I just saw a very awesome clip of a documentary on YouTube where they d- actually discovered a possible tomb and homestead of Joseph. And the interesting thing was a lot of archaeologists commented that the, the structure that was made, it was not like the structures that were, uh, that were Egyptian. This was more like a, a middle Eastern uh, structure for that time. And also they noted that there was 12 pillars in the front of the house. There was 12 graves in the, in the, in the courtyard, but there was one that was different. And there was one that was in a pyramid shape with an entryway, with a large statue inside a statue that was about 16, approximately 16 feet. And they noted that the images of the statue and they, they said it was not like an Egyptian statue, but the Bible records Joseph being in Egypt, and we don't have any other recordings of anyone else coming from the Middle East into Egypt and being exalted to a high status. And these archaeologists, while they're saying it is possible, they're not saying concrete 100% this is Joseph, but they're saying it is likely because, the, one, the statue did not look anything Egyptian. The person was represented in the paintings and in the statue was not Egyptian by facial features, but he was held to a high regard because only people of importance get structures like this. So I, I, I'll, I want you guys to go check that out, but it was very interesting to me because as you guys know, I'm a history head. So anyway, uh, Dennis writes, the sons of Israel, B'nai Israel is, is how Israelites are referred to, to in the Torah, Israel is the name given to the Jewish patriarch Jacob after wrestling with the with an angel of God. As noted above, Israel means wrestle or struggle with God. And he wrote he writes about um, uh, for example, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, two of the founders of America, neither of whom believe in the literal reading of the Bible, commission a design 
for the great seal of the United States of America, which depicted the Israelites leaving Egypt. Franklin proposed the scene being surrounded by the words resistance to to tyrants is obedience to God. Not only did these men deem Exodus to be deem the Exodus to be a civilization defining, they also believed America was founded was founded in a second Exodus. The people leaving Europe establishing the United States. Uh, that these two events, the Exodus and giving the Ten Commandments, are the two seminal events. Other than creation itself, the Torah means liberty and morality are the twin pillars of the Torah. They became the twin pillars of America as well, which is not surprising given the given that America was, outside of Israel, the most Bible-based, particularly the Hebrew Bible, country ever founded. He also has a short essay called The Jews, God's Third Attempt to Create a Moral World, and he writes, um, and I got just a couple snippets here, the Torah may be considered God's third attempt to create a moral world. Uh, the Exodus followed the by the revelation of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, a subsequent writing of the Torah. God's first attempt, uh, maybe a good world was created, was creating human beings with a conscience. That didn't work. Cain, the firstborn child, uh, the first of the first couple, Adam and Eve killed his, uh, of Adam and Eve killed his brother Abel. After this, general moral uh, deterioration of humanity followed. God came to came to regret creating human beings in Genesis six verse five through six. Consequently, um, yeah, consequently, God sent a flood destroying all of mankind except for a particularly good man Noah and his family. Since the human conscience was insufficient to make a good world, God then revealed some basic moral laws and principles such as not to murder, not to take life of those who deliberately murder, to have children, not to consume blood of any creature, and every human being is created in the image of God. Once again, people murdered, plundered, and engaged in other evils. God therefore initiated a third effort to morally improve mankind by revealing himself to one specific group who would be charged with spreading ethical monotheism to the world. This group was the first known was first known as Hebrews, then the Israelites, then the Jews. They descended from a man named Abraham, who God revealed himself and his desires that the entire world will be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. Abraham's descendants were enslaved in Egypt hundreds of years uh, for hundreds of years. The process by which they came enslaved, they became enslaved begins in the chapter and is followed midway uh, of the book of Exodus from Egypt and the revelation to the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Uh, let's see. Uh, second, God made a multiple attempt to have people act decently and show why revelation was necessary and why specific revelation at Sinai and the Torah was necessary. Precisely because prior attempts to make a human conscience a basic moral Noahide principle did not work. God gave the Ten Commandments and the Torah. Third, this third attempt, make, making a good world establishes the uh, the raisin. I don't even know what that word is. It looks foreign uh, of the Jewish people. <laughs> uh, 
the to be a nation of priests and holy nation. Exodus nineteen verse six. Bring the world to the uh, brings the world to the Ten Commandment ethical monotheism. And uh, let me see. Yeah, because he has a lot in here. Because his first chapter really goes in. Okay. Let me see. Oh, he has an essay here. Um, the guilt of the Egyptian people. Uh, that is uh, chapter one, verse 11. Uh, he writes, the Torah indicates, uh, indicts the Egyptians four times in the next uh, four verses. The Egyptians set taskmasters over Israelites. They ruthlessly impose hardships on them. They make them perform harsh labor. They make life bitter for them. The Torah emphasizes the collective guilt of the Egyptians, even though it is Pharaoh who initiates the slavery and the annihilation and annihilation campaign. The Egyptian people are the ones who executed it. People, the individuals initiate mass evil by, but they need a collaboration of many people to carry it out. This explains the uh, collective national punishment of the Egyptian people that the Egyptian people will experience. Okay, and uh, let me see. And he talks about lying is moral. <laughs> uh, it, in reference to uh, verse 19, we can infer from this episode that one is not obligated to speak truthfully to, murder, to murderers and die, or have others innocent die. As a result, rather, we are not to only permit but morally obligated to lie to the evil in order to save ourselves or other innocents. The notion that it is always immoral to lie is itself immoral. Okay. And that is all I got for you on this one. We're going to go ahead and move on to chapter two. Chapter two, young Moses. Now a man from the house of Levi took, took as a wife and daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and gave birth to a son. Now when she saw that he was a delightful that he was delightful, she hid him for 3 months. Ah, oh, you guys see that 3 again? But when she could not when she could no longer hide him, she took a basket of papyrus reeds, coated it in tar and pitch, and put the child inside and laid it and laid it in a reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood off in the distance to see what would happen to him. Again, we're seeing more of the women being propped up in this. Then the daughters of Pharaoh, then I mean, then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe while her maidens walked along the riverside. When she was when she saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her handmaid to fetch it. When she opened it, she saw a child, a baby boy crying. She had compassion for him and said, "This one, this is one of the Hebrew children." So she identified that he was Hebrew probably because he was circumcised. Then his sister, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, "Should I go and call a nurse from the Hebrews to nurse the child for you?" So, and I believe this is Moses' sister that they're talking about. So Pharaoh's daughter told her, "Go." So the girl went, called the child's mother, the actual mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse him for me, and I will pay you your wages. So the woman took so the woman took the child and nursed him. After the boy grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. 
So she named him Moses, saying, "Because I drew, because I drew him out of the water." Now it is now it happened in those days after Moses had grown that he went out to his brothers and saw their burden. He noticed an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. So he looked around and he saw that there was nobody. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Then when he went out the following day and saw the Hebrew men fighting, he said, so he said to the guilty one, why are you beating your companion? But the man answered, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Are you saying you're going to kill me just as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses was afraid and thought, for sure the deed had become known. I've read that so weird. So, so Moses was afraid and thought, for sure the deed will become known. When Pharaoh heard about this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. See that number seven again. Who came and drew water? They filled their trough. They filled the trough uh, to water their their father's flock, but shepherds came and drove and drove them away. So Moses stood up and helped them with the uh, helped them and watered their flock. And again, we're seeing this again because what was it? Jacob did the same exact thing. He helped um, he helped Rachel water the water her livestock when they came to uh, Raul, their father. He said, how come you how come you've returned so soon today? So they told him an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds, also drew water for us and watered the flock. Where is he then? He said to his daughters, why did you leave the man behind? Invite him to have some food to eat. I'm sorry. These these studio animals are killing me right now. (laughs) Moses was content to stay out with to stay on uh, well, uh, Moses was content to stay on with the man. Later he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. Uh she gave birth to a son and named him and named him Gershom, saying, I have been an outsider in a foreign land. Now it came about over the course of the many days that the king of Egypt died. B'nai Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out and they cried for, and they cried from slavery. Uh, they, I don't know why I can't read today. They cried out and their cry from slavery went up to God. God heard their sobbing and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Abraham Isaac, and Jacob. God saw B'nai Israel and he was concerned about them. And that is the end of chapter duh. So um, now that sounds a lot different than anything that entertainment has given us. You know, entertainment wants to paint this picture that Moses and Ramses were were brothers. You know, they never even really name the Pharaoh. They just said um, that this by all means, like you assume that this is the same Pharaoh because they say that this Pharaoh died. After, um, what the heck? Uh, okay, I'm sorry, I went too far. Um, yeah, because they didn't name the 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 pharaoh that was killing the children, and then also they didn't name the 
the Pharaoh that um, uh, Moses' adoptive mother. So it could be assumed that this is the same Pharaoh. And remember, they talked about that they uh, that the Jews made. Uh, where is it? Uh, where is it? Um, to made uh, they built Python. Yeah, that. So they set slave masters over them and afflicted them and forced labor. And they built Python and Ramesses as storage cities. That's the only time Ramses really comes up, and at least in the first chapter of Exodus. So the Pharaoh that we that you know that entertainment tries to tells us is Ramses is you know I, I'm I don't I don't I mean I haven't well I've read it I don't remember exactly if the if the Pharaoh that he that he talks about is Ramses. Let me see if I can jump ahead. Uh, where he was like, let my people go, you know? So, I mean, that, that's the only time we really hear the name Ramses. And then they said the, the Pharaoh died. We don't hear about a Pharaoh dying prior to that. So, uh, of course, entertainment, you know, wants to paint this picture that this was a different Pharaoh and that, um, that Moses was, was raised by, was raised as a brother to Ramses and stuff like that. Maybe, you know, as we keep going, because I don't remember exactly, maybe we'll see, you know, some evidence that confirms that. But the, you know, so far, there's nothing in this Bible that says this Pharaoh, that this new Pharaoh is Ramses. Let me see. Uh, let me, uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, but also, um, yeah, I don't see any evidence that this Pharaoh's name is Ramses. Or go to Ram- uh, yeah, chapter nine. Go to Ramses and say to him, "Thus saith, uh, thus say the Lord God of Hebrews, let my people go and worship me." Yeah, see, people like to take a lot of creative liberties <laughs> with the Bible. I mean, yeah, I guess it's fine, but um. Yeah, let me see. So, um, so Dennis starts off the book uh, explaining the house of Levi because if you guys remember, Levi was one of the sons that ended up killing, slaughtering everybody in Shechem. So, the house of Levi refers to the one of the twelve tribes of Israel, the the Levites. The Torah does not mention uh, here the names of the husband and wife. Much of the much is remarkable given the monumental role they played as. As the parents of Moses and most important figure in the Hebrew Bible and one of the most important figures in world history. They are named later in Exodus 6.20. One possible reason is the Torah desires to emphasize that Moses was born to an ordinary people, not illustrious, famous, rich, or even patriarchal holy parents. The most likely reason is to focus the attention exclusively on the child, not the parent. The Torah was all, the Torah also wishes to emphasize that Moses' birth was in no way miraculous. God chose Moses to lead the Jews out of Egypt because of his exceptional moral leadership traits. And um, he talks about Miriam, uh, Moses' sister. Miriam, Moses' sister, who intervenes with the Egyptian princess, 
uh, to have Moses' mother, uh, Yochev, uh, appointed, so they didn't name his mother, appointed to nurse uh, and care for Moses until he was weaned. Zipporah, Moses' mid, uh, uh, Midianite wife, was saved, who saved either Moses or their son, uh, the text is not clear, from God's deadly wrath by circumcising their baby in Exodus 4, 24 through 6. And uh, then he says, uh, he also mentions Moses' birth again. Um, and then he says, um, he has one small essay, why Moses was saved in the same type of vessel Noah's, uh, Noah was saved in. Ha ha! <laughs> So, and he writes, um, in order to show a relationship between the story of Noah and Moses, the Torah used the same Hebrew words, tavah, to refer to both Moses' basket and the, and the, oh, sorry, I thought I heard something, <laughs> and to Noah's ark, despite the vast discrepancies in size between them. This is another example. The, the Torah communicates that the Exodus, which includes a revelation of the Ten Commandments at Sinai, begins a new creation. Just as God saved Noah in a tavah set in the water, he also he will save Moses in a tavah set in water. Just as in Genesis, God started a new world with Noah, he is in effect starting a new world with Moses and the Jews. And just as God attempted to morally improve the world by revealing moral laws to Noah, i.e. all humanity, after the flood, he will attempt to do the same by revealing specific laws to humanity through Moses and a particular people. Uh, oh, this is also a good one. So he explains, uh, he explains Moses' name. Uh, and he writes in chapter 2, verse 10, when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter who made her, who made him her son, she named him Moses, explained, I drew him out of the water. The name Moses came from the root word, uh, I drew I drew him out. Moses is also an Egyptian name, and presumably Pharaoh's wife, Pharaoh's daughter, chose to name him for an Egyptian reason rather than a Hebrew one. The Torah is provided a Hebrew explanation for a name most likely chosen for its Egyptian significance. So. And then he has another essay. Our mother is. Uh, our mother is the woman. And our father is the man. Who raises us. Regarding the role of Pharaoh's daughter. In Moses life. The Talmud. The holiest Jewish body of literature. After the Bible edited. 20 between the year 200 and 500. And compromising uh, 63 volumes of philosophy, theology, ritual, and ethical laws, the story states Yochev uh, gave birth to Moses, Batya, the Hebrew name given to the Pharaoh's daughter, meaning the daughter of God, raised him, therefore he is identified then. Therefore, he is identified as her child. In other words, yet uh, in other words, even though Yochev gave birth to Moses and even nursed him, the Jewish tradition regards Pharaoh's daughter as Moses' mother, as important as child as birth parents almost always are, and Yochev was. 
In most cases, blood is less important and actually raising a child when it comes to assigning the title of mother and father. And then, uh, yeah, since we're running out of time here, I'm just going to go ahead and I will recap this the next um, the next episode in the beginning because I did take a little bit of time in the beginning to kind of spin you guys up. So we are right. Yeah. So we're done with chapters one and two. I'll recap chapter two uh, when we start chapter three. Um, but yeah, if you guys want to follow along, please, uh, you guys can go uh, get Dennis Prager's book, Exodus, God, Slavery and Freedom. And you guys can also get the TLV version of the Bible. I got both of these on Amazon. I probably need to work on how to get an Amazon store so that way um, I can put things on there. So that way, as I prescribe them, because I'm getting more into more books to explain social conditions and stuff like that. I want to put out a reading list of books that I am reading. So that way, if I decide, which I am uh, tinkering with, with an idea of doing another segment of the Edmo show where we're actually going through books, but not just any books, books that really impact us today. Like I do want to cover rules for radicals, which is a very demonic book, but I I do want to cover that is by Saul Linsky. Pretty much if I want to cover that chapter by chapter, probably not going to read it like the Bible um, because probably for legality reasons, but I'll probably sum up a chapter as an episode and then, you know, so on and so forth. But um, as I said, we we are working on more things. Um, I'm getting some stuff set up. I'm trying to get a working on getting some cameras and some other stuff so that way we can do some live Q and A's. I am, uh, if you guys want a, 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 a biblical Q and a, where we talk about the chapters and have a nice discussion groups, let me know. You can email the show at the MO show at gmail.com. Also help us by supporting the show. Uh, you can either donate, uh, to PayPal, which is in the description box. You can help our friends out at wilder tactical, uh, use that MO show code. Uh, also, um, if you guys, you know, it, it, I understand, like, uh, if you guys are on hard times, you know, given COVID and everything, trust me, you know, don't, you know, if you're down to your bottom dollar, like I always say, you know, please keep it. Just share the show, like the show, give us five stars and put a comment down because um, it is greatly appreciated. Um, also, you guys can also help us help out my friend uh, who is trying to get who's trying to raise money on GoFundMe. Or a barbecue truck. You know, I love barbecue. I love to eat. I've been a little fat piggy during this whole COVID. But, you know, I got to support my friend. He's trying to raise $15,000. He is working on it. Um, I'm I'm donating. Uh, I'm trying to get as many people as I can to help him. And if you guys have anything that you guys want to put out there in the world, if you guys need help with like a GoFundMe or something like that, please let us know. We would love to put it in our description box with the links and everything to help everybody out. Um, so yeah, so, uh, Exodus, we are, I, I, I got, I do have some things lined up. We got Alfonso, Alfonso, Rachel coming back, uh, for us to do another talk on Exodus. Um, we're scheduling that out. Um, however, things may be a little slow in the beginning because we are getting some more supplies and tech in. I'm trying to teach myself how to use them. Also, as I said, uh, uh, the missus and I, we are taking a nice little vacation. So if you guys don't get your episodes, trust me, we will try to give you guys episodes, but we can't make any promises because we need a break. 
And especially, we need to go celebrate the missus because she has uh, finally graduated with her master's. And I'm so proud of my wife. If you guys haven't didn't hear that on the last episode, you heard it now. I'm proud of my wife. But, um, yeah, if, if there's anything that you guys really want covered, um, please write the show. You guys can get involved on Facebook. Um, I'm trying to get more and more people uh, involved with the show. And, yeah, so I will see you guys next time. Bye.